Coalfield and Company, live at the Thomas and Matt. Heidi pops, steps back, flushed out of the pocket, running out of the time. It now goes down the 39-yard line, and a flag was thrown as he was hit when he went down by one of the Eagles. That is going to be a personal foul of Philadelphia. Unbelievable unforced error by the Eagles. Caught by Watkins, thrown to Smith. He's trying to throw it backwards. He's hit by Cam Curl. That is picked up by Casey Tuhill in the end zone. It's a defensive touchdown to end the game. An exclamation <laughs> point to end an undefeated season of the Eagles. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. We are back. We didn't get out here for the uh, first weekday home game at the Thomas and Mac, but another year. This is like 15 years now, something like that. I always lose count. Try to announce what year it is, and I'm like, I have no idea. We've been out here for a long time. Uh, Dayton coming up tonight against your running Rebels. 8 o'clock start, so we'll carry it until 6, and we'll have some uh, filler program in between. Uh, William Hill Show is coming up at 6 o'clock. JVT is here as the company, as uh, back in our Finley Toyota studios. It's Ari. We got a loaded show today. We're going to talk a lot of UNLV hoops um, in the 5 o'clock hours. New assistant Barrett Peary is going to be on with us, so that's on the way. And, of course, lots of NFL. So you hear the Commanders Radio Network and Bram Weinstein on the call there. Interesting game. Not blown away by the story because I didn't think the Eagles were going unbeaten, but they were unbeaten. They got knocked down. Uh, we'll get into that as the show goes along. Anytime this show has big, big baseball news, we derail everything we're doing and get right to it with John Von Tobel. Of course, big baseball news for John is his hapless angels. They reward a hometown hero yes. with a big deal. As Tyler Anderson, who had an awesome year for the Dodgers a year ago, Spring Valley guy, Oregon guy, gets a three-year, $39 million deal. I like the move. Now get me a one, a two, and a three. What do you mean a one? They got a one. That's a good point. They have Otani. And they have Patrick Sandoval. Okay. So get me a three. Give me another. Actually, you know what? No, no. I want another one and another two. Right. I, I think that's the whole point. So I like, want Tyler Anderson to be the five, like he was the four or five with the Dodgers. You're in the same market. Spend the money. But we've gone round and round. This, well, I can't remember how many years we've been out here to open the season. At the Thomas and Mac, uh, same goes for how many times we've talked about the Angels and their moves during the offseason. It's been dozens of times. We've sat here and gone, okay, keep going. Yes. More. So, th- this is, look, Tyler Anderson is coming off of a career year. He was absolutely tremendous. Uh, his numbers were unbelievable. Uh, that's kind of a little bit of the problem, though, with the signing, right? 257 ERA, for those who don't remember, advanced metrics are even better. You know, 331 fielding independent. Didn't strike out a lot of guys. Uh, but still, career year again for a dude who's a little bit longer in the tooth and made his debut in 2016. But that's kind of the problem, right, which is generally – you don't want to sign a guy coming off of a career year when he's in his 30s. That's not really a, a great sign right. uh, for growth. Um, maybe he recreates what he did last season. But I would also say there were indications and reports out there that the Dodgers offered him one for 19. And I would say that even Tyler Anderson's own move of grabbing three over 39 would tell you that he'd rather have long-term security yep. because maybe that there's not something, you know, maybe there's not a chance that he doesn't recreate it and gets 19. I hope he one. does. Oh, I do, I think too. it's a great story, and we've seen pitchers in the past emerge in their late 20s, 30s, and turn into, you know, reliable five, six-year guys throwing, I was going to say, you know, 240 innings. That doesn't happen anymore. So starters now, if you get 180, 200 out of them. But we've seen guys emerge in their 30s. Maybe last year was the, the emergence year. But to your overall point, what you were hinting at here, 
Tyler Anderson, even if he comes back and recreates something of what he had a season ago, what we generally see with the Angels is wipe the hands. All right, we got him. We got him, guys. We're good. We got him. We gave up a second-round pick for this guy, essentially, and uh, we got him. We're good. Let's improve now. Let's uh, let's go win some baseball games. And that's not the way it works. You have We're spending to. on Trout and Otani. What more do you want? Right. More. <laughs> more. They more. Did, those two guys deserve more. The the Dodgers, the, if like, think about it just just think about it this way. If the Dodgers had Otani and Mike Trout, I, I think their payroll would be like five hundred million dollars. They would not stand back. <laughs> they, they wouldn't. They no. keep going. They would keep spending funny, and spending and spending. On the way in, I heard uh Covino and Rich who are now doing afternoons for Fox Sports National, and when the update guy came on, Dan Byard. He mentioned Anderson going to the Angels, and then the next note was, uh, there are rumors that Justin Verlander and the Dodgers are talking. Of course they are. Now, my immediate reaction as I was driving, because I just talked to myself when I listened to sports radio, was, five years too late? But that's a story for another day. The Dodgers and the Yankees completely blowing it by not getting Justin Verlander, and he helped tip the scales of baseball. The Astros are freaking awesome. But if one of those teams had gotten Verlander, maybe the Astros don't finish off a couple of World Series. All right, you are back. You are back. Okay. I didn't know where you were yesterday. I'm having trouble keeping track of. You were on a business trip to the East Coast. You went to one of the loveliest places on Earth for the last couple of days. Were there any issues? I mean, you drove or you flew in? Right now? Yeah. I flew in just you now. You flew in from Fresno. Flew that's that's Fresno. like the easiest trip going. I yeah. assume... None of the very famous travel woes emerged for John Von Tobel. No, this trip was actually good. It, it's like it's like forty-five minutes, like the flight. So Love it's it. it's hard. Yeah, it's it's really hard to have a bad trip when you're flying. Was to it Southwest? Fresno. Uh, no, Allegiant. Okay. Did they do the drink the pump fake where they're like, okay, we're going to come around for drinks. Sorry, we've run into a complication that will delay us three minutes. No time for drinks. No, they they came around individually and asked, but they oh, didn't yeah. bring out the cart. And uh, they also did say. Nice. Because the flight is so short, you have to buy the drink. You don't you have to like get it for free. And uh, they were not serving alcohol on the yeah. plane. I don't think they do freebies on Allegiant, but that's okay. The prices are cheap. No? Okay. I didn't know that. Uh, I think only Southwest does it. Maybe a couple other airlines added it back. It was not the trip that I had to Jersey, where the lady, or from Jersey, I should Uh-oh. say. What happened? Where the lady, so the lady, there's a, a man and a woman, a husband and wife, I assume, uh, given their interactions with one another. And the lady was in the middle seat next to me. And she did one of these where she turns to me, but then she, like, leans back in my space and, like, like wants to, like, point her legs to her husband and everything like that. And was like, I get it. The handrail thing, it's always, it's always a mystery on how you're going to handle that. But she was literally leaning over into my chair space. Mm. I barely get any. And I'm not the smallest guy in the Lay world. I, f- I refuse to budge. She, for the first 30 minutes of the flight, this lady was leaning on me, wow. essentially. It was incredible. And so, of course, man, my leg was itching, you know, you just my other shoulder it. was itching. Didn't take the sign, huh? Uh, no. Didn't take the no, hand. Nothing at all. And then finally she moved, and clearly this is the most evil thing I think I've ever felt in my life, maybe. Oh, boy. Um, probably like an hour and a half into the flight because it's a long flight. She was having some trouble. Like, I don't know if it was like being in the, the plane for too long or whatever. She kept like sitting forward and like grabbing her head. being like. And I heard her say like, oh, you know, no. I, I can't do this. And I'm like. I can't do this. And I'm like, yeah, good. Good. Oh, you're like, good. Or were you worried about the, the bag not coming out in time and she was going to yak all over you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if she was sick or what it was. But, like, there was a point where her and her husband both went to the bathroom. Oh, really? So I was like, good. That's what you get for taking my airspace. I'm going to sit here and watch Thor, Love oh, and Thunder. You're, you're a mean guy. Yeah. Good movie selection, by the way. Thank you, United. Free movies. Good ones, too. Okay. Like, they came were out there, within the last year. Were there free drinks on that one? Yes. Okay, not so alcoholic drinks, but there were free so there drinks. There you go. I yeah. stand corrected. Free drinks on United. Yeah. Good deal. 
I love Allegiant, though. Get, you know, would love to take tickets to the stadium. I'm glad you're happy. I'm glad you came back happy. There's a lot of unhappy people here in Las Vegas because of what's happened with the Raiders. It's devastating. Uh, led by Derek Carr. If you didn't get to see Derek Carr postgame, we talked about it yesterday. We came to grips with it. We talked about mental health, what he's going through right now. For the audience that didn't get to hear it yesterday or Sunday, fire this. And for that to be the result of all that effort pisses me off. Pisses a lot of guys off. It's hard knowing what <clears throat> some guys are doing. Like I said, just to practice what they're putting in their body just to sleep at night. Like, just so we could be there for each other. And I wish everybody in that room felt the same way about this place. And as a leader, that pisses me off. Okay, that cut started out in interesting fashion because you feel really bad for Derek Carr. He's devastated by losing, but then he does take a shot at other teammates, an unnamed teammate or teammates. We've got a name now. We'll get to that in a couple minutes. Well, meanwhile, Mark Davis giving a quote talking about the job that Josh McDaniels is doing. He says he's happy with the job he's done so far. And man, oh man, you want to talk about the red meat that the talking head TV shows need? The red meat that Stephen A. Smith needs? Oh, he took it and freaking just, just tore it apart. It ultimately comes back to you, Mark Davis, because when you give an idiotic, unquestionably, an idiotic quote like that in Vegas, Sin City, where people go to make their dreams come true, even if it's just for one night or one week or one month, you're going to tell everybody Rome was not built in a day? That's got to be the dumbest quote that I've ever seen from an owner. It was stupid. That was 27 seconds of three minutes just looped on itself. And I'm kind of with him. I came here to live out dreams. And when the NFL hit the ground, it was a dream of mine. This is a nightmare for me. And I'm doing a lot to get ready for a radio show every day, working hard around football on the weekends. For these guys to put me through this, I'm having trouble sleeping at night. Actually, truth be told, I slept 12 hours last night like a baby. Wow. The best night of sleep I'd gotten in a while. Uh, there, I guess as a radio person, there really is no stress anymore covering the Raiders because this is just run off the rails. There's no pressure. I mean, I guess we can just come in every day and do what Stephen A. does. We won't do that because I don't believe Mark Davis is an idiot. I believe there's a lot going on right now in terms of what is being said, John. And some people are choosing their words carefully. Others are not. By the way, I don't. I'm not accusing of I'm not accusing Mark um, or check that Derek Carr of not choosing his words carefully. I think he knew exactly what he was doing as he was breaking down. Okay. Yes. Uh, okay. So first thing, uh, this is why Stephen A. Smith is incredible. I don't know where he was going with that connection, <laughs> but he made that connection brilliantly with like the Rome built in a day and dreams. I thought that was incredible. Um, but I think you're right. Like I, when you're looking and hearing about what everybody's saying coming out of that game. You're right. Uh, and I think Mark Davis, he, like, clearly people are just going to read the quote and be like, oh, are you happy? Like, he's trying to put the fires out. He understands right. that he's not going to – like, what do you want him to come out? Like, man, Josh sucks. Yeah. I made a really big mistake. This is a nightmare. But i got to pay him, so we're going to finish out the season. I like, no, think he's not. doing a fantastic job. Could he have chosen some different words or said, I think he's doing a fantastic job, but I do expect better results soon. I mean, yeah, you could probably quibble with that, right? Like, is he doing a fantastic job? Well, clearly not because they are losing a lot of winnable games. But are you going to say, like, I have faith that ultimately in the big picture we will get this thing done? Like, you can say something along those lines, I think, and maybe people won't be as visceral in their reactions. Or as you said, 
Also, but, but it was ready-made for everyone around the country watching the situation because a lot of people were already teed up or wanted to tee up Josh McDaniels when he got hired because of his head coaching experience mm-hmm. in Denver. And now, for many, this is going exactly the way they thought it would. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, pat on the back, I told you. A lot, a lot of people in Denver, we're going to have some of them on later in the week as we're getting ready for the Raiders and the Broncos. A lot of people in Denver, especially ex-players, were like, what are you doing? That's a bad hire. I mean, as a Colts fan who was jilted by Josh McDaniels at the altar, remember? And now, granted, Frank Reich ultimately didn't really work out a ton, but he had some success up there. Uh, but, no, I think, like, a lot of people are probably looking. You hear that a lot, right? The 6-0 and start to the season when he was a Denver Broncos head coach and the subsequent record afterwards now, uh, he has not really been that successful. And I would say when you are in winnable games, if you have a losing record in games that are within one score and you don't even have like, a win – that is a sign of coaching at some point once the sample size grows. Wednesdays, it's the Marcus Arroyo Radio Show at 6 p.m. right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Rodriguez breaks the zone. Now the Williams shot no good. Harkless, physical. Oh. Pass to Gilbert. Gilbert off the backboard. Oh. Rodriguez with the jam. Wait a second. Harlem Globetrotters-esque here in the first half. Wait a second. Harkless over the head. Keyshawn Gilbert with the play. You're like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Matt. Well, that's an award-winning call. That's an award-winning call. Wow. Silver State Sports and Entertainment Network. That was two games ago. That's Neverett, huh? Luis Rodriguez. Matt Neverett, the great voice of Matt Neverett and some clown yelling, stop it, and no, 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 no. Stepped all over him. I, when I look back at the highlights, I watch them because uh, the uh, Running Rebel social media department does a wonderful job of cutting up clips and putting them back out. Yeah, I'm a little excited. I'm a little excited. Who's the star of the broadcast? That's the question to be answered. Some broadcast, it's the analyst. Others, it's the play-by-play guy. We're still working on the chemistry. You are. Clearly. <laughs> I feel like on plays like that, you got to get out of the way for the play-by-play guy. Unless I, got, gonna... I got out of the way. I was kind of muted in the background saying no. Yeah. And then Matt and I have a good rhythm. I'm trying. Take your word for it. Usually I'm stocking the sidelines when you're on the, uh, you're on the call. <laughs> I'll take so. your word for it. Take your word for it. <laughs> Matt seemed pretty upset when he left the building. The other uh, day. This game tonight is not on the Silver State Sports and Entertainment Network. How about that? CBS Sports, right? Got a chance to talk to Kevin Kruger because game coming up tonight at 8 o'clock, national game, number 21 team, Dayton is in town. And really one of the big stories for the Rebels early here is the improved offense of Kashawn Gilbert, right? Guy was a defensive dynamo a year ago. Could he take that next step and become a one, two, or three option? The other night he was a number one option. He had 23 points and started off this portion of the conversation with Kevin Kruger just saying, hey, are you surprised how quickly the offense has come for Gilbert? I wouldn't say I'm surprised. I guess the only question we had as a staff is when it would kick in. You know, it's, it's tough, like you said, when you make seven in an entire year. You know, to you can spend hours in the gym like he did, but it doesn't always translate immediately. You know, sometimes it takes you a handful of game reps to, to, to get those looks to fall, to get comfortable. But, you know, Keyshawn was really stubborn. He was just stubborn about getting better, getting in the gym, and getting those shots up. And... I think he's taken these first two games as a great opportunity not only to, to take the shots that he feels he's going to make throughout the year, but uh, to also capitalize on them. What's more important, the stroke or kind of 
stepping into it? Like, what was he missing? Because the, the stroke last year kind of came out, you know, like a knuckleball. I mean, that's obviously one of the big changes. Yeah, I think that was the main thing we talked about in the spring was just getting the rotation of the ball. It needs to be, you know, end under end, kind of like a like a like a football, kind of like a kickoff. You know, that rotation of the ball just needs to be fluid and and, and directly uh, just kind of looking smooth. And you know, that was really all it took for him. You know, he he took it to heart, and then he kind of he put in the work after that. And now, if you watch his ball, it's. Uh, it, it rotates perfectly, and you know the, he's gotten to the point I think where when he shoots it, you know we we think it's going to go in. Do you guys have a shooting specialist on staff? I mean, you were a good shooter. Like, who did he work with? Was was one person in charge, or did he go outside the program? Like, how did he work on a shot in the rotation? Uh, well, Keyshawn's a gym rat, so I'm I'm sure he you know when you ask him about his the work he put in in the summer, I'm sure he crossed paths with a handful of people. But uh, you know, you've also got you know coaches that played and and, and shot it a little bit, so. You know, I think uh, just throughout last year and throughout this summer, you know, he, he took coaching really well and, and put in put in the time. But um, I wouldn't say we have a, a shot specialist as yeah. of now. He, uh, he's playing good defense. He seems to be playing differently than last year. I'm not saying he was out of control, but he would come in in kind of a frenzy deal because I think he knew he only had so many minutes. Do you see a difference with his defense in terms of responsibility and not fouling? Yeah, it's, it's a, his role's changed a little bit because, you know, when he came in last year, his job was to change the tempo defensively, pick up the ball and kind of uh, create a little bit of a, a, a – raise the, the energy a little bit. And, uh, you know, it, but, you know, to his credit, he realized pretty early on and pretty quickly that that's where he was going to make a mark and an impact on, on the game. And now uh, while he's still an elite d- defender, I think he, he's doing more offensively. He's carrying a, a much bigger – uh, responsibility so you know we're, we're not asking him to be up on the ball full court as much um, like he was last year uh, we're asking him to kind of be more the quarterback on the floor and and so that's why I think you've seen a lot of you know Parquet on the ball um, because you know Parquet's experience and, and ability to, to really disrupt the ball handler and disrupt the offense is uh, he does it at, at an elite level. What is Luis doing so well? I mean, stat stuffer. This last game, what I think, ten points, six rebounds, five assists, six steals, something like that. You know, across the board. What's he doing so well? He's just consistent. I mean, every time he guards the ball, he guards it the same way. Uh, every time he, you know, is is off the ball, he's he's kind of doing the same thing. He's in good position. Um, he's got incredibly hack, active hands. He, uh, you know, and, and a great understanding of where the ball wants to get to. So. Uh, he's so disruptive. Um, I think he understands from a defensive approach of what teams are, are trying to do and what players are trying to do. So that's just really allowed him to, to kind of capitalize on, on the defensive end. There you go. Luis Rodriguez talk at the end. We'll get to him in a second. But Gilbert's been tremendous, setting a career high in the first two games, 13 and 23. And then the crazy thing is, how good is this guy going to be if he can shoot, you know, say 35% from three? I mean, he was 7 of 25 last year. This was not a three-point shooter. Um, last game four or five. Oh, if he's going to add offense, like consistent double-digit efforts offensively, on top of being the defender that he is, I mean, like he's he's going to fill the role nicely, and not like in terms of Bryce Hamilton as a scorer, just like as the alpha, as the best player on the team. I th- I think that could potentially be his ceiling if he's going to add to his offensive game consistently. The shot's important. The confidence in shooting the shot vital. The rotation is better. The feet are better. And I'm guessing, remember how the season ended last year? Wyoming in the Mountain West Conference Tournament, someone had to make a three down the stretch. Gilbert got his chance, didn't make it. Yet people after the game asking, hey, why was he the guy shooting the three? And I think he was probably motivated during the offseason from the entire season and that miss 
hey, let's get this right. If I'm going to be an elite player and I'm going to play point guard or the two, rotate back and forth, i got to hit threes. It was either the first or second coach's show where Kruger actually said that. He talked about that shot and said that Gilbert seemed to take that to heart uh, and kind of replayed it again uh, throughout the entire offseason and getting ready for it. So, And look, and it's desperately needed. And I would say, too, like if you wanted to put a damper on it, like the efficiency numbers so far, even with Gilbert on the floor, they're still averaging less than a point per possession or just about there. So that needs to still be better in terms of their efficiency offensively as a team. But that was kind of the big question, right? It was just who was going to be like the main cog offensively in scoring. Harkless can be that, but I also think if Gilbert's going to add to that too, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty good backcourt to have. And, you know, you ask coaches, you ask players a lot of times about, hey, you need an alpha or two when you need a shot. Who's it going to be? And the stock answer when you don't have Bryce Hamilton is, well, we have a lot of options. That's not the way it works, honestly. Right. You got to have one or two options. And right now, Gilbert's emerging as an option. I think Harkless is going to be one of those guys. I think Rodriguez can be one of those guys as well. But to what we were talking about with Rodriguez, he hasn't found his three-point shot yet. I think he's 0 for 7 on the season. He's got a good stroke. He can shoot it. These guys are all going to be helped on the defensive end with the fact that there's multiple dudes who can be stoppers. And I think it's really important for Gilbert this year as he tries to concentrate on getting better offensively that he doesn't have to be the stopper when he's on the floor. Right. Parquet was brought in to play D, and they've got Parquet playing end line to end line on the point guard. So he can do it. If you want to you know, switch big to small, I think Rodriguez can do it. I think Harkless can do it. They've got a lot more good defensive options with size, too, than they had a year ago. So watching them on the sidelines the first two games, that has been the thing that really sticks out. Like, there's been a couple of times, right, where, like, if they don't have minutes for Milwaukee out there, if he wants to go out to the bench, they, they've played a couple of, um, like, different guys at uh, center. Like, Keyshawn Hall has had a couple of minutes at center. Uh, the big kid, Carl Jones, has had a couple of minutes at center. But, like, the thing that sticks out is even if they go a little bit smaller than that, like, they're still a pretty sizable bunch that they're switching almost everything defensively, and they feel comfortable doing it. I mean, how many matchups in the first two games have they really given away enough size to where they're like, no, we can't switch that? There really hasn't been a lot, and they're strong enough to do it too. Like, I think that's been the most impressive part about watching them up close the last two games has been their communications, their ability to switch, but the ability to not give away a mismatch when they switch. The other big thing uh, tonight, we've got a bunch of keys for the game tonight. Again, 8 o'clock tip, get out here to Thomas and Mac. $2 beer night, all weeknight games are going to be $2 beers. Pretty good. It is a good deal. <laughs> and Dayton's a really good team, and this is one of the games on the schedule. Hey, you get a top 25 team at home, you got to win it. And, uh, you know, we'll go through the schedule and talk about quality opponents coming up. Got to win this game. Um, to do that, they are going to have to rebound better. They did a good job in the second half against Incarnate Word. The first half was not good. For Incarnate Word, not a big team. To get 11 offensive rebounds and be leading 17-13 at the break on the boards, not good enough. No, so opponents, and this is Southern and Incarnate Word. This is via Ken Palm. Uh, opponent offensive rebounding rate is 31.1%. So to put it in another way, their first two opponents, Southern and Incarnate Word, like you mentioned, not the biggest opponents in the world, have grabbed 31% of their missed attempts. It's a pretty high rate. Uh, and that is not something that you really want. And you do wonder, like, is that – and that's why I can't wait to talk about this a little bit later. Like, rebounding, is that a lack of size? Or is that just a lack of being out of position? Is that the way that they're playing defensively, right, so doggedly on their matchups that they're not all kind of crashing enough and they're looking to run more a little bit? Like, those are the kind of things. But that has really stuck out so far, uh, is their inability to get teams off the offensive glass and the second-chance points that they've been giving up. That, that'll get tested tonight in a big way, I think. 
Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at BJVT. Or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Cofield and Cofield and Company. You look at his one loss record, 59 and 77. That really says it all. Derek Carr has to find a way to put this team on his shoulders and get them to the finish line. That was the voice of Rich Cannon. He's been pretty consistent. Even in good times, he's talked about uh, Derek Carr having some shortcomings. And, you know, now this year it's been knock around Derek Carr like a pinata because they're not winning and his numbers just aren't as good as they've been in the past by PFF. This is the uh, second worst season of his career. So Gannon's not shy. And if anyone wants to fire back at Rich Cannon, a former Raider, um, I don't know that Rich Cannon was a better quarterback than Derek Carr, but they won. Um, and, and, and quarterbacks, we've seen it happen with Troy Aikman. Um, you know, in that, in that case, Super Bowls, right? And I, I think Aikman, it's a little strong to say along for the ride, but he had Hall of Famers all over the place, and he, was, he needed to be a caretaker and make some plays here and there. But, like, you know, you, you heard Aikman go at, say, Pat Mahomes. Like, hey, catch up to me in terms of rings, bruh, which I think is a little crazy. But in Rich Gannon's case, I think a lot of Raiders fans will have his back. He was a winner. And Derek Carr, to this point, he, you know, it's, the, the numbers just aren't there. And this year, it's just it's not a great look. I understand, you know, the workplace can be emotional. Football can be emotional. Maybe they were fighting. Maybe there's a lot of screaming and yelling, you know, in the locker room before Derek Carr came in. But the crying's not the greatest look. And then on top of that, when you're not winning, you're going to open yourself up to guys who did win in the past, like Rich Gannon, to go, come on, bro. The difference, too, between Aikman and Gannon would be the way that they did it. Like, Gannon, you're talking about, like, the general cliche of, like, got to put the team on your shoulders and win games as opposed to, hey, catch up to me in AFC championships or, you know, whatever, as Aikman tried to do. And I think that's where you get the people coming in and saying that he tagged along with a really great Cowboys team as opposed to what Mahomes has on his plate as as a player. Well, I'll say this. You and I have discussed before. This is a career worst season for Derek Carr. It is weird that an offensive minded Josh Daniels, uh, Josh McDaniels, excuse me, and Devontae Adams comes in and Carr puts in his worst season since essentially his rookie year. It is odd. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Having said that, when we use the general cliches of Derek Carr putting this team on his shoulders and taking them to victory, is Derek Carr all of a sudden going to play safety as well? Because, like, that's. In, in all of this season, and I get it because you hired an offensive mind and you traded away assets to get a, the best wide receiver in the National Football League, what has been lost in this conversation is how bad this defense has been. They are now last in the NFL in EPA per play defensively against the pass. According to Pro Football Focus, they are the 10th worst cover team in the NFL. They are the second worst tackling team in the National Football League defensively. So we can talk about the misconnections with Carr and Adams, and it should be there, and McDaniel's issues as an offensive coach. But when are we going to look around at this team and start to point the finger at, like, look, the way that you built this, we knew there were going to be some shortcomings. Your defense sucks, and it's not getting any better. The worst team offensively in the National Football League came into your building, put up over 400 yards and seven yards per play, and you lost. The offense wasn't great, but the defense has been atrocious. We mentioned Aikman. What do you think of Aikman so far on Monday Night Football? So, I'm not going to lie to you. I totally forgot that they were on Monday Night Football until like two weeks ago because every game I've watched without sound. Right. So, 
I like he's fine. Like again, I'm not big announcer guy. Like you right. could tell me it's you know a monkey banging two things together for the you know the whole game. And do you have do you have anyone that when you turn on the game you're like oh I like that guy doing color. Collinsworth, Romo, someone new. Yeah, okay, I'll say this. So I drove to Fresno, and I listened to the Sunday Night Football broadcast mm-hmm. as I was driving. Uh, I don't like Mike Tirico. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Not an analyst, but play-by-play guy. Yeah. Last night, Aikman uh, came out of his shell and was going at it a little bit with the refereeing expert. From what I saw of it, I think it's a bad play. I, I think Jahan Watson here is just running his route. I don't think he's trying to pick anybody off. I think he's trying to run. And he's entitled to, to running his route. Clearly there's contact. And that's obstructing. More than one yard, I get the route. But he's got to avoid the guy rather than create the contact by the defender. Yeah, I disagree with I don't think he created it. I think he's running a route. There you go. He's running around. By the way, same thing. Very similar situation happened in UNLV and Fresno, and it really buried them in their yeah. own end. Caleb Herring went nuts on the radio broadcast, and, and Arroyo on the sidelines, who is not really a guy who gets into the officials very much, um, got into the officials. Shelton Zeon got called for uh, some sort of pass interference pick, whatever. And the claim was kind of the same thing. We'll talk to Arroyo uh, tomorrow on the Marcus Arroyo radio show here on ESPN Las Vegas at 6 o'clock, but... Uh, I mean, that is an interpretation deal. I like that Aikman's like, no, nah, I don't agree. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I wish it would open it up more for more back and forth. Yeah. Like, it kind of being able to press these guys on some of these rules and yeah. why they are the way that they are. Some uh, of this is subjectivity. It doesn't, doesn't mean the officials are always right in terms of how they're judging things. When, when did Washington get a new receiver, Jahan Watson? <laughs> well. <laughs> when, when did that happen? Did they close. sign him yesterday? It's close. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. John Insert Dots. the D. It John happened. Dotson. <laughs> it Insert the D. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's a drop. Cut that up right now. Uh, RJ Clifford's on the way. Let's talk more Raiders. He hosts the Autumn Windbags. And I want to get into USC a little bit. A massive fight this last weekend with a big upset. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. No different than probably most walks of life. You know, it starts first, you know, putting in hard work. And again, find the solution. And it starts with the work. You start turning over every stone and trying to figure out maybe it's something you can throw a different scheme here or something like that, just in terms of the football part of it. But it starts with the hard work. It's our job. We've got to find solutions. So, I mean, that's what, that's what I've done in the past. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Matt. Boy, a lot of the stuff the last couple weeks from Josh McDaniels in there for Patrick Graham. I mean, it's coach speak. I don't, I don't know what they're supposed to say. That's not super scintillating. Just work harder. A uh, guy who follows his team day-to-day does the Autumn Windbags podcast, does Sirius XM radio as well as R.J. Clifford. Joins Cofield and JVT here on a Tuesday. What's up, R.J.? Oh, just a glorious time in Raider Nation. My question of the day for our last show is, what's your drink of choice after a Raider's loss? Like, that's kind of where we're at at this point. What is it? Whiskey rocks, depression drinking in the dark by yourself. Like <laughs> in the dark by all right, all right. What do you, what do you think when you hear Graham talk about? Hey, we just got to work harder. Well, this is the problem with uh, with this defense, right? And the defense has been atrocious for the Raiders for the last twenty years. Like since I was a teenager, the Raiders have had a, a terrible defense. And personnel wise, Patrick Graham isn't dealing with a whole lot. Uh, obviously, Max Crosby's fantastic. Rocky Asin surprisingly has played pretty well. But then you got Nate Hobbs on IR. Other than that, 
everyone on this defense is playing worse this season than they did last season. And again, the covers are pretty bare. So yeah, the personnel needs improvement, but Gus Bradley got more out of these guys last season than this season. So that's the biggest worry for me is, you know, the, literally a coach's number one job is to get the most out of your players. And Patrick Graham was supposed to be the guy that can take spare parts and make a decent, you know, at least a somewhat reputable or somewhat decent defense. And no one's asking this defense to be a top 10 unit, but he did it in New York with the Giants. Like he had basically a pair of good corners and a couple guys on the front line. He put together a, a decent defense. And he thought he can do that here. They're worse this year than they were last year. We're talking like Paul Gunther bad. So I, I, when it comes to the defense, RJ, I, I do wonder, like, didn't we see this coming, though? Like, we, we saw all the assets that were put into this offense. You figure that there was going to be a lack of spending and, and maybe a little bit of a downturn in play somewhere. It had to be this defense, right? I just wonder why it hasn't been a bigger talking point, given how bad it has been at times. We focus so much on the offensive end. I feel like this has been just as big, if not almost a bigger Achilles heel for this team. It, it's by far bigger. I mean, it's the it's it's. They're last in takeaways. They're last in sacks. Uh, I think they're like bottom five in points given up per game. And obviously, like you know, all the all the attention is going to be on Derek Carr and Devonte Adams. And you know, Derek Carr is the biggest lightning rod, you know, west of the Mississippi these days when it comes to the NFL quarterbacks. But but yeah, like this, yeah, the the offense was supposed to carry this team, but it is dragging a fifty pound anchor, and it's this defense. I mean, like like Denzel Perryman was a Pro Bowler last year at linebacker. He's terrible this year. Chandler Jones was, you know, a six-time player, was supposed to be this, the other end of Max Crosby. Terrible this season. Trevon Merrick was had a really solid rookie year. And what's the time NFL players generally on paper improve the most is from rookie year to second mm-hmm. year. And he's been bad. Like, that's the concern. Like, yes, the, the coverage were pretty bare, and it's not a talented unit, but they regressed. They got worse despite, you know, potentially, like, on paper they should be better. What do you think of Mark Davis saying that Josh McDaniels is doing a fantastic job? Uh, well, when you've got the most expensive ticket in football and to sell it every game, I guess it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, he's he's doing fine. He's making his money. I mean, what is he supposed to say? I mean, it's it's you know, if he's going to say anything else, then we all we know how owners talk. If there's anything less than this guy's great, they're getting fired in the next forty-five minutes. And we don't know what Josh McDaniels' contract with the Raiders is, but. If it's anything like a standard coaching contract, there's a lot of guaranteed money. And if Josh McDaniels gets fired this year, Mark Davis is going to have to write him a huge check for him to not coach the Raiders and then pay whoever coaches the next season. So I I think he's going to hang with Mark Davis. There's really no reason, unless you're going to fire him tomorrow, there's no reason to say anything other than he's our guy. We feel good about him. Thoughts on Derek Carr crying after the game? I wanted to as well. I mean, that this was... This this was more than just this instance. I think this is this is a much bigger moment than than, uh, than I think a lot of people are really considering. Like, think Derek Carr. Like he's he's been on this Raiders team for the last nine seasons. He's been carrying terrible defenses his entire time. Multiple coaches, multiple offensive coordinators, team president pro- problems, uh, car crashes, coaches getting fired for 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 emails, and he's been the rock this entire time. And he said it multiple times. He's like. I, I want to win here. And, and it could just be quarterback speech, but I, I believe him where, where he said, like, I don't want to go somewhere else that's already established. You know, I want to pull a Tom Brady and go to Tampa Bay and, and win there. Like, I want to make this franchise amazing. Like, I want to win here. And I think with just how this season's going with so much optimism and how bad it's been, I think this is this is nine years of frustration all boiling over. I think Derek Carr's looking at potentially his last season as the Raiders quarterback because someone's going to have to take the fall for this season. 
and it's not going to be Josh McDaniels. Um, that's going to be too expensive. And then who's the next target? So I think, I think Derek Carr, maybe for the very first time, is either coming to realize that his life may not involve the Raiders next season. And I think why he's extra set is he's probably going to be happier. I mean, the Raiders have done Derek Carr far worse than Derek Carr's done the Raiders. Who is he talking about when he said that uh, people in that locker room don't care as much as they should? That's a good, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, that's exactly what we all want to know. Um, and we all saw, we, you know, I assume we all heard Brandon Marshall blowing up on, on Josh McDaniels on CBS, not that, you know, last week and talking about how like the opposite of leadership is Josh McDaniels. Right. And uh, he just, he's not the leader of men. He's an X nose guys. And that was kind of what we thought he was. Um, that was his downfall in Denver 10 years ago, but we thought, all right, he was 33 at the time. Maybe he grew up and figured things out. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think there's a, a specific finger pointing at a single person. I think it's, I think it's a unit that, you know, a lot of these guys come from big time colleges with big time coaches and, and, and big time leaders, men and personalities that can get them jacked up, get them going. Um, and without that there anymore, uh, Derek, Derek Carr's frustrated that he's not getting these guys that are self-made, self-motivated as maybe he hopes they are. Am I reading into my, uh, too much into it when I think that they're talking about Darren Waller? Because you have the comment about people not caring enough. You have a weird piece coming out about Darren Waller and the frustration growing within that organization about him and his lack of availability. I get he didn't play, but it, it seems odd that we're getting all of this noise around all of a sudden people don't care, and there's one name that's been named in terms of frustration with his availability and you know lack thereof, and that would be Darren Waller. Boy, he pulled the fast one on the Raiders, didn't he? All that guaranteed money, still had two years left on his contract. He got a, he got he, he got his bag. Yeah, I wonder if he's uh, he hurt his hamstring carrying that uh, that giant burlap sack full of gold bullion the Raiders gave him. But it could be. I mean, it could be. It'd be an interesting time for him to say it, considering Waller was on IR and hadn't played for a while. So it would be. But it, w- it would make sense. Just here's just a greater frustration that's much bigger than just falling to Indy and uh, and a coach that was a high school football coach 45 minutes ago. What is productive about calling out unnamed players and then someone telling the media that it's Waller? How is that going to turn things around? That's what I don't no, get. I, I think that's a bad. Yeah. I think that's a sign of a fractured organization, and the responsibility for that starts at the top, not with Mark Davis, but with Josh McDaniels. I don't like the stuff I'm hearing in the last couple of weeks. Bad signs. It's just pure frustration. It's not. You know what I mean? It's, it's it's exactly not productive. It's just pure frustration. We saw that out of out of Derek Carr, and this has been, you know. It's been a dysfunctional franchise for as long as I've been an adult, right? I mean, if this is, uh, you know, you can put you can put some paint on a house that's falling apart or you know, a house that's decrepit, but until you build it from the foundation up, um, it's it's not gonna it's it, it's not gonna fix itself, and it's not gonna fix itself with just a quarterback or sometimes even a coach. Like, look at how the defense has been this bad for twenty years. It was ESPN's worst defense of the decade, twenty ten to twenty twenty. You're not gonna fix that with just Patrick Graham, right? You're not gonna you're. Not, an organization where like all the leadership like didn't pay the taxes right and now everyone's getting fired in the front office like it's just like all these things that we keep hearing about like it has an effect on the team and it has and it's and, and, and these players know that they have twitter accounts they read like it's just it's all this build up frustration coming from everywhere like it's not just one thing and i think that's that's why all this is boiling over the way that it is RJ Clifford is with us broadcaster for Sirius XM he does the Autumn Windbags podcast, a Raiders-based podcast. You're a UFC expert. Did you see what happened to Adesanya coming? 
It was certainly a possibility. Um, I mean, the, the way that his fight with Israel Adesanya went, uh, you know, Alex Pereira went, it was basically how their two fights went in kickboxing. So they both fought in a kickboxing organization called Glory. Alex Pereira beat Israel Adesanya twice, beat him by decision the first time. It was a very close decision. A lot of people thought Izzy won. And then in the second fight, it was a fight Izzy was winning until Alex Pereira knocked him out. Now, Pereira has arguably the best left hook in all of kickboxing and combat sports. I mean, it is a beauty, and that's what that's what he caught him with the second time they fought, and that's what he caught him with his last go-around. So um, it basically played out like their last two fights. Izzy was winning. He was up on all three judges' scorecards, three to one, until he got caught in the fifth round, and night-night. Did uh, Adesanya fight to a stupid game plan? Should that game, or should that uh, fight have been on the ground? Yeah, that ground fight was ugly, wasn't it? It was like watching a blue belt take care of a white belt. I mean, that's kind of... That, and that's why Alex Barreto went through this entire run of the UFC kind of giving him a nice little run. Like, he's only been a UFC fighter for, like, a year and 11 days. Like, he did some MMA, took some time off, went back to kickboxing. He's only been in the UFC barely over a year. But he got the fast track to the title shot. I'm glad he did because Israel Adesanya was already was about to start lapping the division. He'd already beaten everybody. So we're glad we got this matchup. The storyline, easiest storyline for any promoter to sell, right? You lost in, uh, in another sport. Now it's his chance for revenge. Um, but it was it was ugly on the ground, which is why I think for sure they're going to do this a rematch right away because they don't want to risk Alex Pereira losing. Right. I think he loses to eight of the other top ten middleweights just because he just can't wrestle. Wow. And uh, and Izzy, I think, wants his revenge. Interesting. John, you want to jump in? Uh, just what, what your thoughts were on the stoppage? At the very first time I saw it, I was a little – I thought it was a little premature. The next couple times I saw it, I said, okay, it makes a little more sense. Um Israel Asanya clearly hurt, and most likely he was, you know, two more punches away from being flatlined and sent to the land of wind and ghosts. But when he was defending, he had his hand up by his chin, he was pivoting like a boxer, and he had his eyes on Alex Pereira. Like that that tells me you're still there. You're hurt. The fight's likely to be ended soon, but you're one of the top three pound for pound fighters in all of mixed martial arts. Like you'd think you could give the guy a benefit of the doubt. There's a gray area of stoppage. It was on the early end, but it was within the parameters. It's acceptable. So I'm leaving the pitchforks and torches at home. RJ, I've got 10 seconds left. Is McGregor coming back and who's he going to fight? He will be back. And I think it'll be at 170. No idea who. That's the million dollar question. RJ, thank you. We appreciate it. Anytime. Never enough time with RJ Clifford, MMA voice on Sirius XM and go check it out. The podcast, Autumn Windbags.